Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. The Big Gym Show is sponsored by Maul and Brawl. Maul and Brawl is the best men's skin and beard care products on the market right now. Maybe. How do I know? Because it's mine. 100% owned by me, tried and tested by me. Whether you've been mauling in the office or brawling in your bed, Maul and Brawl is for you. We've got a shower gel, which is scented dark honey and tobacco. The moisturizer has a scent of ivory musk, and the beard oil will make your beard feel smooth and silky and smelling like whiskey. It comes in three packages, the Simple Man, which is the shower gel, the Modern Man, which is the shower gel and the moisturizer, or the Caveman, which is the shower gel, moisturizer, and beard oil. To order, go to mallandbrawl.com and type in the code BIGGYM10 for 10% off. Mall and Brawl. For men, that mall. Big Jim is wearing his heel. There are very few comedians. I can't think of any comedians, in fact, maybe two ever, that have been cancelled because of what they've said. If anyone hasn't been, Scott's Scott's out the front, and he's like the like the lead singer. Yeah, like I've, we've discussed this. You're like the Mick Jagger. You've got all the moves. <laughs> You're the charismatic front man. Everyone connects with you. Scott's doing shots. All the chefs were running around a, a bit like Anthony Bourdain uh, describes in his book. Crazed guys running all over the place. Yet they were, they somehow knew that they had to produce certain volumes of food, and they did. And they were rock stars to me. And it was late night and they'd knock off and have a beer. And sometimes when I was 16, 17, they'd, they'd sneak me a beer as well. Can't give an informed opinion to Eddie Jones while literally holding my dick in my hand. <laughs> On this episode, I'm joined by a rock and roll chef, Scott Holsworth, and a comedy legend, Adam Hills. Enjoy. I actually spoke to about my wife uh, in bed last night. I said, look, I'm interviewing Scott. I'm interviewing Adam, big fan. And we're live, actually, by the way. <laughs> and I said, I listened to the podcast recently, and we were talking at home about like normal life, like as in what is a normal job. But I'm traveling all the time, so I've flown down from Edinburgh for this. I was down in Bournemouth at my mates cycling at the weekend. I'm off to America with work. And so I travel all the time. Yeah. But I'm battling constantly with myself because I'm like, I, I feel like, I'm doing too much, but I'm living a very different life to everyone that I know. Like, what is a normal life? As in, a nine to five will be normal to some people and some families. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But your life on the road, Adam, is like, it's normal to be traveling and being away from home for weeks on end. Absolutely. And then my dad was Qantas cabin crew. Mm. So I just thought that was normal for me. And it was it was Frankie Boyle, the comedian Frankie Boyle. He and I were hanging out talking about growing up and our dads. And he was like, yeah, I remember when my dad would come home at seven o'clock every night from work. And I'd be like, is that what dads do? <laughs> my dad had just be gone for two weeks, like flying with Qantas yeah. 
not no phone calls because it was too expensive. And then two weeks later, I'd come home from school and he'd be in a beanbag because he got in at like midday. Oh, wow. And he's been awake for 33 hours. <laughs> he's trying to push through jet lag. And he'd be like, yeah, dad's home. And then he'd be home for five days yeah, and then wow. gone for two weeks. I know. that's And that's like, so when you talk about being in the kitchen yeah. and again, like love listening to stories from about chefs and like watch a load of Anthony Bourdain stuff back in the day. There's this kind of rock and roll lifestyle around it, uh, which yeah. is that right or not? Because it isn't normal, is it? Like as in uh, when you come sit to do spreadsheets and yeah. to have a normal existence, everything's at night. So it's not what's perceived as a nine to five. Exactly. It's that night culture. And that's why I, I was sort of drawn to it probably in the beginning. I, I wanted to. I would rather have been in rock and roll. I just, you know, can't really play that well. <laughs> uh, my brothers were in the rock industry, and I was. I really wanted to be one of them, and they're a bit older than me. But when I did my first, um, I don't know, sort of trial, I suppose, in in a hotel kitchen, all the chefs were running around a, a bit like Anthony Bourdain uh, describes in his book, uh, Kitchen Confidential, I think it is, isn't it? Yeah, mm. um, like rock stars. They were like these crazed guys running all over the place yet they were they somehow knew that they had to produce v- certain volumes of food and they did and i thought how do they know what to do how do they know they're not following recipes they just know what to do and they were rock stars to me and it was late night and they'd knock off and have a beer and sometimes when i was 16 17 they'd they'd sneak me a beer as well so i was really drawn to that to that that late night sort of style of living how did they know what to do I suppose just like any other kitchen, you just get used to the recipes or yeah. you memorize certain things. So this was in the first part where I was working on a buffet in a hotel. So they weren't um, like fine dining recipes. Like at, at Freak Scene, we've got specific recipes. So the guys, you'll see these guys use the scales all the time. I remember some things. Some of the guys remember some of the bulk recipes. But when you need smaller, you know, finer amounts, like in pastry work, for example, you know, you measure everything out meticulously. Yeah. But back then, I think, you know, it was bulk preparation for buffets. So guys would just be tipping in big buckets of meats and fish and into big things called brat pans, these big tilting pans, electronic pans right? Um, that would heat up and, and you just do things in mega bulk or they just, you know, putting roast after roast after roast through the ovens. And I don't know if there were – I don't remember seeing a recipe book in that kitchen. <laughs> <laughs> Somehow it worked though. <laughs> because there is that really lovely rock star feel about chefs. I guess from the book, but also what's the TV show at the moment? The Bear. Oh, The Bear. Mm. I haven't seen. I saw that the other day. Really? My, my son close? had seen it and he said, I, I said, why don't you tell me about this? Because it's pretty- Is it close? Is it ro- close? Is it- I think it's close. Right. Yeah, check that out. <laughs> but then the, having been to the freak scene, from what I understand, like you're, if anyone hasn't been, Scott's, Scott's out the front and he's like the like the lead singer. Yeah. Like I've, we've discussed this. You're like the Mick Jagger. You've got all the moves. <laughs> you're the charismatic front man. Everyone connects with you. Scott's doing shots. But then also out the back uh, in, in the kitchen, you've got Andre, who yeah. from what I understand is kind of like a Zen master. Like there's no stress about him at all. So he's true. Like, so he's like the Charlie Watt. He's the Charlie Watts. Just drumming away. That's the new rock and roll, though. The Zen is the new rock and roll in (laughs) kitchen. So that's what they say, what everyone's looking for. But I best go down the route of people like, how is Jim Hamilton in the studio with Scott Holdsworth, Adam Hills? So people will know, potentially, I know you because I'm a big fan of yours, (laughs) Adam. Off the last leg, you front some of the stuff for Channel 4, Rugby League, a load of other stuff. Comedy, I actually came to watch years ago no. yeah, Edinburgh Fringe we'll get on to that wow, so okay. I, yeah, we're yeah. going to get on to that and Scott we go back like years and years I've, one of your favourite one of my favourite restaurants is your restaurant it was Kurabuta yeah that's it, right. right yep of yep. course and f- through mutual friends we're now in a studio and we're going to what would you say tonight is it is it an opening party 
Ah, or tonight. Um, <laughs> I don't know if you got the memo. What? I'm really sorry about this. What's happened? We've got staffing issues. Okay, so we're going to go out. We've had to pull the pin so we can... Um, so we can go out. We can go out somewhere what? else. Yeah, this, let's, let's go drink sake yeah. somewhere else. <laughs> Easy then. Easy. Right, well, we can carry on the conversation. So yeah, we sorry, go... sorry about that. No, not at all. No, <laughs> no this is that. the nuts and bolts and the reality of having a restaurant. Exactly. I'm learning. And, and, and it hasn't happened to me in a long time. I have to say, like, there's a lot of people talking about the staffing crisis in hospitality. And I'm saying, and I was I was a little proud the other week. Someone said, hey, you guys going on? It's a bit rough out the front. You know, we've got some people coming and going. But I say the kitchen team, super solid. And then this today I go in. And one guy couldn't make it because his daughter's sick and, and another guy's got parenting uh, duties today. A couple of temp guys come in and they just don't know the recipes at all. I thought, if we try and do this tonight, it's going to look bad. Yeah, well, <laughs> wow. that, that's definitely so, something that I want to uh, talk about. But just to finish off that bit, you two uh, are kind of in the business together. That's why we're here to talk about that but a number of other things. But that's why it's not that random. There is a link between <laughs> us all being in the studio. But yeah. like, Scott, let's start on that. I mean, I was involved. I was a, an investor in a Scottish restaurant in London called Mac and Wild, which went for a few years. It's now folded. COVID was the straw that broke the camel's back. There was a load of issues. Wolfpack Lager, which is in Fulham. We've oh, got yeah. three bars in London. Yep. And also being someone that likes going out and Enjoying food. We did a barbecue there once at uh, the original Wolfpack. Yes, with, with uh, Chris and Al. That's did, right. It was yeah, Frank's barbecue one afternoon. Exactly. Brilliant. It's it's amazing. Like it's an amazing space to be in. But I imagine you've kind of just answered it there. The fact that tonight's event, which I was so looking forward oh, to going to, isn't happening. How tough is the hospitality industry at the minute? Because this is a bit of a crazy time. Adam, I don't know if you know that. Well, you, I do know that you know the lay of the land in the UK. It's fucked. Everything's <laughs> fucked. So I tell you what, just double down on an industry which is fucked, or yeah. is it not, Scott? Well, I think yes and no. At certain levels, I think there's there's some really hard times being had. I think if you then go into you know the upper echelons, if you head into Mayfair and, and see some of the institutions, like I wandered into Nobu with a mate at 10.30 on a Sunday night months ago, months back, and I thought, we'll just get a table here. It'll be easy Sunday night. We used to work together there. Yeah. It was packed. And they said, you need to sit down and wait for it. Uh, 10.30 on a Sunday night. So there's a certain level of restaurants where I don't think they're affected as badly as maybe the mid-market. And we sort of sit maybe upper mid-market. Uh, and and we're in Parsons Green, of course, and we've got a really good database of people from the Kuributa days who are coming, and our spends are really good. It's pretty solid. Um, so I think we're doing okay. But if you pitched, you know, uh, I don't know, a sort of lower 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 mid market restaurant at the moment um, in the wrong slightly wrong area, you might be struggling. And is that because there isn't people? Is it Brexit? Is it to do with COVID and people finding different? industries and careers to work in because that, there is the a things. big problem that I, from people yeah. that I chat to. Well, yeah, that's definitely one of the things, but where I was sort of going with that one was sort of more like um, people who are finding finding it hard at the moment financially aren't going out as much. Mm. So um, maybe in the mid-market, that's where you see a few restaurants possibly struggling or about to fold. But yeah, in terms of staffing, I think, yeah, the big story is Brexit. And the second one is fi people finding new careers after after COVID. They're having all that time off and then going, well, bugger this. I'm not going in and working till one o'clock in the morning and getting a night bus home anymore. It's not mm. worth it. I've now learned how to do something else. And that's fair enough. I, I just be, I'm just happy to be one of these people that are kind of maybe slightly addicted to that, that, you know, that rush from being in the kitchen, from being part of a, this really hard business to run you know I, I get a thrill out of it still but as um i can understand it must be hard for for younger people who go well hang on i'm not getting to see my friends at all i can find something better to do i can probably get paid more somewhere else 
and so they're back out of it. So yeah, we're there is a real crisis, I think. Yeah, and you were keen just to come in during the chaos. Adam, <laughs> yeah, you saw, I saw in. that crisis and thought, <laughs> I want in. Yeah, <laughs> I want to put my money into that black hole. <laughs> <laughs> what was it? Have you been into one before? Like, how do you two know each other? And I almost swore when Scott came in, so I couldn't remember whether you were a Kiwi, but you are a deep-rooted Australian oh, yeah. like yourself. Which is how, so we met at a function for the Royal Flying Doctor Service, like it couldn't get more Aussie than that. <laughs> um, you know, doctors that land on highways in the middle of the desert because there's no air, uh, airports around. Um, we met at, at, at that function. I think, Scott, were you, were you catering or you had prizes that you were giving I, I away? I offered up a prize and Jeffrey Archer uh, don't, uh, got me um, to the top prize that night. That's I, right. I thought no one would know who I was and they probably didn't. But somehow he managed to get them someone to spend £10,000 on me to go to their house and, and cook, which raised ten grand for the RFDS. Yes. And so... <laughs> And so then, you know, I said I'd go along to Freak Scene, which was Scott's restaurant at the time, and just loved it and then took everyone I knew there and just – it was the kind of restaurant you go to and just – you almost felt like you were showing off your food. Mm. Like, you'd yeah, try that and then people would try it and look at you and you'd, you'd feel – I'd feel like, yeah, that's right. That's right. <laughs> I suggested this. And then, of course, you know, COVID, you know, meant that it closed down and then Scott opened up a, a pop-up called Double Dragon and I took my wife there about a year ago. And we were chatting and Scott said he wanted to open and my wife said, well, why don't you invest? You've got a little bit of money. And so I kind of, you know, I got down on one knee. <laughs> I took him out to dinner, I proposed. He said, yes, thankfully. I was very nervous. And then we've just, you know, we've, we've now kind of opened a restaurant together. And it's like, it's so addictive. Like, you know, being there, you must have found that yourself. You've invested in a restaurant, going mm. there. And as a comedian... You know, I get I get to make people laugh, but I don't provide the whole night. And to see people come in and just sit down and have a great meal and drinks and a you know brilliant night because it's an amazing atmosphere. There's there's another level of satisfaction that I get out of that. And I found I became a different person when I was in the restaurant. You know, I'm I'm either normally kind of shy and sitting in the corner, or I'm doing my stand up. There's no in between. And then I found that being there, you know, I'd wander past tables and people would have a chat and I'd ask how the food is and kind of went, I don't know. I don't know who this character is that I'm yeah. right now. <laughs> I, I kind of like him. <laughs> you, that might be the cancelled comedian if that ever comes around. <laughs> and so I like to think it's Rocky Balboa in the later Rocky films. <laughs> He's absolutely fucked. Um, how is comedy now? So I love comedy and yep. I, I mentioned it at the start i went to see the edinburgh fringe festival uh, festival um i've been to see ricky gervais when he was up at edinburgh castle as well been over to new york yeah, yeah. Uh, new york comedy clubs tried a bit of stand-up <clears> myself <throat> we can maybe touch that yeah shit sandwich didn't go down well. oh go on where <laughs> yeah. where 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 did you do it in glasgow yeah yeah so a tough crowd because I've got an English accent, as you can tell by the twang. Right. Did yep. a big gig in Hong Kong. It's called the Long Lunch. There was a rugby element to it. Yeah. I was the youngest speaker there. I was 33, 34 at the time. Got up there, caught a Chinese, said I'm hung like a Chinaman. Place erupted in laughter. I thought, <laughs> this is too easy, and hit them with loads of stories. And then during COVID, I thought, right, I'm going to double down on this comedy. It was either that or open a coffee shop. So I was yep. thinking, like, I, I don't know what's going to happen with my life coming out of rugby, are there opportunities in the media still? You know, you just sat at home thinking of all these things. Yeah. And this comedy gig came up, and I thought, for the first time ever, because I winged this one in Hong Kong, I started writing notes down, and I was thinking, yeah. about how loose can you go? Trying to prepare stories, like as in do it properly, as in prep it. And I got the graveyard shift at the end of the night, 
and I saw like this, the top table was at the front and there's a few of the guys falling asleep. One had a hearing oh. aid in and I kind of referenced that he's already asleep before I've even stood up and a couple of different apologies about the North Hebridean accent and I tried the hung like a Chinaman joke and it was just absolute tumbleweeds no. where I was no. like, that's the punchline where I drink my drink, turn around, you <laughs> are all laughing and I fucking hit you again with it. And it was just... But you know what? It was the best experience. I've gone on to do other kind of. I, 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 I feel so embarrassed saying I've gone on to do comedy gigs sat in front yeah. of you. <laughs> but I've gone on to do other stuff, and actually, that feeling of being really uncomfortable and being comfortable being that uncomfortable, I think, was maybe the best thing that's right. ever happened to me. So I went to New York with my wife for was it my fortieth? No, our ten year wedding anniversary, and they had an open mic, and I thought, do I get? I wasn't quite ready. Right. So I wasn't quite ready, but I, I would be keen. But I do wonder what the lay of the land is in comedy at the minute. So from your point of view, and I, I mean, it was years, maybe 10 years ago when I saw you, but I reference and I look at Ricky Gervais at the BAFTAs, like that was as loose, but he's such a smart guy. Yeah. But I wonder from your point of view as a comedian, especially in the UK, is it a tough place to be? now in 2023 with what you can and what you can't say and how PC things are? Or are you I uh, No, I think what, what makes it tough at the moment is the, again, people not having money. Mm. So after COVID, audiences took a while to come back. They took a while to remember how to be audiences. Like I, I, I did the first two gigs I reckon I did in the UK after, after COVID, after, you know, the lockdowns, were both charity gigs who were usually the loveliest crowds. Both nights someone had to be taken out drunk from the audience because people forgot how to be mm. yeah, out right. in public. Wow. You know, people are like, oh, I haven't been out for ages. This is amazing. Five wines in, your shit. <laughs> and it wasn't even your shit. It was like people just thinking they were part of a conversation. You know, in that way that we all forgot how to have conversations yeah. again. Yeah. It's, it's so it took a while for audiences to remember how to be audiences. It took them a while to come back. Like I remember my manager going, look, if you go on tour, we'll probably – go to smaller venues because people aren't buying tickets as, as in the way that they used to. It then started to hit and then I think this whole cost of living thing has then stopped people again. Like, for instance, this year Channel 4 have just cut four episodes of The Last Leg from mm. us because they're not getting the advertising revenue because people aren't buying. So that's the tough bit. The What you can and can't say on stage, what you can and can't get away with, it's – it's not a thing. Like it's mm. not, or it's not as much of a thing as certain members of the press or Twitter or social media would have you think. The gigs live, I imagine, it's you probably have more free reign than if it's on TV. Am I right in saying that or not? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, okay. yeah, yeah, yeah. And live comedy's always been the way. And you know, if someone, I mean, fair play. Look, if someone's offended by what you do when they come along, and they've, you know, if you're offended by Jimmy Carr and you've paid thirty pounds to go see Jimmy Carr, you kind of know what Jimmy Carr's going to do. Mm. And in fact. You know, Jimmy did hit a little bit of a controversy, but it wasn't because of what he did on stage. It was because of a bit of his Netflix special. Mm. So, again, whatever you, if people have paid to come see you live. And also, look, the last show I did, I, try, I tried to talk about trans issues and cover that, and I had a few complaints. I had people complaining at the theatre. And, in fact, one woman, I don't know how, she left her number, so I called her, and she had a trans kid, and we had a chat for about an hour. And I was like, okay, well, how can I say this better in a way that isn't – and then I went back and then redid it. And, and how did it sound? Not as good. No, it was great. Oh, it was no, fine. no, it was okay. much better. It was much better. <laughs> yeah. She was right. So, it, what, was she right though? I'm not asking you to open up here, or 
because this is the whole thing around and again i use comedy as the perfect example because it and and what you do so well on the on the last leg is you, you will one you do it on tv yeah, yeah yeah the group that you do it with like the disability aspect and the angle it's so welcoming and easy to consume and it's brilliant like it is so so good but when i look at other parts of comedy i imagine in America is different because they're loose as anything. This New York comedy club, fuck. I can't even repeat <laughs> yeah. what they were saying. Wow. It was, I was like, I'm open to anything, but it was loose. <laughs> but I do wonder on the circuits. Like, so that that's a perfect example. The trans, like homophobia was always the butt of the jokes back right. in the day. Yeah. But I, can you go down them routes now? But it's great that you're progressing and thinking in your mind, okay, well, how do I make that better, but still do it? It was really tricky because I wasn't being anti-trans. I was, I was, I was trying to... Uh, you know, talk about the confusion that people of a certain generation have when dealing with it. And I think eventually I hit upon the phrase, you don't, uh, you don't have to understand it to respect it. Mm. And once I, once the, I worked that in, then the rest of it made sense uh, as a routine. I'm being really nerdy about a comedy routine now. But there's more of a story about, oh, you can't say this and you can't say that and all that kind of stuff. But, like, there are very few comedians. I can't think of any comedians, in fact, maybe two ever, that have been cancelled because of what they've said. The only two I can think of are Kathy Griffin because she tweeted some anti-Trump stuff and Roseanne Barr because she tweeted some pro-Trump stuff. Mm. But apart from that, I don't know any comedian that literally... I mean, Jimmy Carr, yeah, there was a big outrage because of a joke he made on you know his Netflix special. He's doing fine. <laughs> like yeah. he's, it didn't affect his ticket sales one bit. If anything, it probably helped. So the idea that there's certain stuff you can't say on stage and it'll ruin your career. It really won't. Mm. Like either the audience laughs or they don't laugh. But the 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 idea that we're all tiptoeing around what you can and can't say now is kind of like if you talk to any comedian, we're all like, no, it's not that's really not what I'm finding mm. out there. You can say loads of shit on stage. Yeah. It's, it's yeah. yeah, it's it's really interesting. And of course, you know, then there's a pushback on the other side. There's 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 people trying to be aware and then there's a pushback of, well, why do I have to be aware of everyone's feelings? And so all of that goes on in the comedy sphere live. But it's not – I don't think it's any trickier than it's ever been. But I, I did – I'll give you an example. I did an interview, an interview in Australia about, you know, and someone brought this up and cancel culture and I said, oh, I don't think cancel culture is as big a thing as it's made out to be. Mm. And I said, look, you know, I can't name any comedians that have been cancelled for what they've said and I think there are forces that would like you to think that we're all being cancelled left, right and centre. So having said that, if you tell a joke and your audience are offended by it, maybe you've told the wrong joke. Mm. That was the end of the conversation. And it went in the Australian papers and fine. And then it ended up on the Daily Mail website and it says, comedian Adam Hills defends cancel culture. <laughs> says if you tell a joke that offends people, you should lose your audience. And I was like, well, that is wow. nowhere near what I said. <laughs> but it proves my point. <laughs> that some people want to turn it into an issue. Yeah, you want a group chat with any other comedians? Oh, no, only Josh and Alex from The Last Leg. Okay. The, and, and the group chat mainly consists of, holy shit, I wish we were on air this week, <laughs> 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 whenever we're off air. No, I'm not really on a group chat. A and again, any other comics I've talked to about this are like, oh, honestly, it's not a, yeah, it's not a thing. Yeah, no, it's great to hear you say that. I just want to pick up on one thing that you said, and this comes back to kind of the world that I'm in as well. My partner in crime is very uh, outspoken, real smart guy, Andy Good, who I do the rugby pod with, but mm. we're not allowed to talk about politics. That seems to be the one thing 
Well, you know what you can and can't talk about, but as in something that affects everyone. And I'm look, I, I'm the kind of wet lettuce in the middle. I'm, I haven't got an opinion either side, but I feel like now, especially coming out of COVID, that I probably should have an opinion. I should be allowed to have an opinion, but we're told, I say we contractually, we're told through the podcast or through the people who run our show, it's best just to steer away right from politics, interesting which okay. i think is crazy because you we just spoke about the two in america the pro and anti-trump that got yes. cancelled where out of anything you can and can't say the central thing that affects us most you can't air an opinion on interesting isn't it like that's you, fascinating especially here it's really really divisive and this is my mate just saying that well so you're saying on this show not on this one specifically but on the rugby one that we do right we're just we're not we're not told i think we i think we are told we can't talk about it because it is so divisive right especially in the uk coming out of covid and everything to do with the conservatives like we're not as he was supporting some of the stuff they were doing he might change his opinion and his view now and we were getting emails saying they're not going to listen to the show anymore and I'm like, well, genuinely, I'm burying my head in the sand a little bit, but I'm also like, well, why can't he say that? Like, why can't he have a an opinion? Well, so that, that's why, and in this world that I'm in, the career that I want to go in and the interests of different things, yeah. I, I see that comedy would be top of the tree, and you can almost be a little bit more loose-lipped, but the fact that you just said two of the comedians got cancelled in America... Whatever well, but the, I mean, politics. those are the only two I can think of. Mm. And bearing in mind, and what I also find interesting about this, both women. So, mm. there, you know, he, okay, here's the example that I give. Louis C.K. is an amazing comedian. Louis C.K. admitted to masturbating in front of people that worked for him. So imagine, okay, you've got people recording this show, mm. okay? This is literally – and look, I love I, – I know Louis C.K., amazing comedian, Okay. Imagine the guy that set up the video in here. What was his name? Lewis. Lewis. Okay. All right. Imagine after we've done this podcast, you wander into look because this is what happened. You're chatting to Lewis and you say, "Hey, um, do you mind coming back behind this little curtain and just watching me masturbate?" Because <laughs> this is what Louis C.K. was doing. And I, the, again, right? This is what he did. And people were he, agreeing to go and watch him. People that were working for him then went. I don't think I can say no to this guy. He's the boss. Mm. Wow. So, okay. So, then you go behind this curtain here. And what was it? Louis, right? Watches you masturbate. Yeah. Right? <laughs> and then turns out you do this with all the people you work with or who work for mm. you. But because you're the boss, they feel like they can't say no to you, right? So, you keep doing this. And you've got to – and then eventually Louis goes, do you know what? I'm – I don't think I'm comfortable watching Jim Masterman over. And over. <laughs> yeah. I think I need to say something. And then all the other people come out and go, oh, I thought I was the only one. Yeah. We've all been watching this guy masturbate Fuck. because he's the boss and we didn't realise that we should have said something, right? So this is what Louis C.K. did. Clearly had time away. He came back. He did a stand-up comedy special in which he talked about it. And I think he, he was nominated for a Grammy. <laughs> all right. So imagine you've done all that. Yeah. All right. Then you take a year or two off. Then you come up with, come back with the renamed Big Jim Show, but it's called the Big Jim Wanking in a Corner Show. Yeah. And then you do a podcast about how you used to masturbate in front of your staff, and you're nominated for an award for it. You can't tell me you can do all that and 
you can't say anything anymore. Do you know what I mean? Cancel comedy comedy does not exist. If you can masturbate in front of the people that work for you, do (laughs) a show about it and be nominated for a Grammy You you can't even do that in restaurants anymore. (laughs) Right, I'm going full noise on comedy. If you can do all this, maybe there's an opportunity and a career for me. If, and I have to put this at the end of it, if you're a white man. Yes. That is the important, that seems to be the important thing. If you're a white woman in America and you talk out about Trump, either pro, pro or against, or if you're a black man, that'll, you'll probably go down for it as well. Have but issues. if you're, yeah, yeah, yeah. <sighs> Mental. So, you, you know, you can't tell me Bill Cosby is doing a tour right now in America and cancel culture exists. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> oh. Oh, I feel good getting that out of my yeah. system. Love it. I don't know. <laughs> nice. I don't know if Lewis CK will be invited here with our Lewis as well. <gasps> Lewis Listen. is behind the camera. Well, give Lewis, it a go. It sounds like it could be an interesting <laughs> one. <laughs> Louis on Louis. He will say what he wants. Literally. Scott, how is it in your industry with migrating through the world now? Because again, we go back to rock and roll. Mm. Uh, and that kind of chef lifestyle, lad banter, loose, yeah. fast, aggressive. And this is just based on what I fucking hope it's like. I don't, I don't, I don't know if it's like that. It definitely used to be, uh, 100%. It was almost like you had to live up to that. And I did that in my, my formative years, for sure. I'd, I'd live up to that. Maybe I wasn't naturally like that. I could have been. But I think I got a reputation for being, you know, the the, the grumpy chef, the the guy, you know, cause, not causing the issues, but getting... Um, pissed off and throwing a knife on the ground if, if something went wrong or just doing that. Because remember, Marco Pierre White was pretty big at the time and he had that book, White Heat, mm. and he, he looked like this scruffy rock star chef and he's he just looked like he was his, his face was drawn. He had cigarettes. He might have even been smoking in the kitchen. Um, and that, to everyone you know, in my generation of young chefs or apprentices, thought, wow, we've got to act up to this. And he apparently had a bit of a temper, so we all wanted to have a temper. Right. And I reckon we all acted up to it. And certainly, I behaved that way for, for years wherever I went all over the world. But- not anymore. You, you, it's it's a, it is a different world for sure. Even telling someone that they've done something wrong now, in a, in a in a polite way, can also hurt their feelings. Right. And that whilst that might work okay in office culture, and you can take time to nurture people, and give them the attention they need. Um, let's face it. There's there's a generation coming through that that um, maybe a little bit more touchy than soft. Soft. Yeah, a bit strawberry. Yeah, they're bruised easily, kind of thing. You don't have time for that in a kitchen or a restaurant. People can talk about it all day long and say you need to be uh, kinder and and softer with people, but that just when you're sitting there waiting for your food out in the restaurant, you don't care what's going on back in the kitchen. And I've got someone I've got to nurture and take time to explain something too slowly. Those two things don't mix. Mm, It's hard and fast, and it has to remain that way. But saying that, yeah, we have that's an it's a new world in 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 the restaurant game, and you've just got to be more thoughtful about the way people the way you can present. You know, you're, you know, when you talk to people about what what's going on or what's going wrong, or or teaching them or telling them that they did something wrong, you've, you've got to take a really soft approach. That that rock and roll, because when you look back at that, for me anyway, it was kind of fantastical. It was like I got great memories of those years. It was it's really <laughs> brilliant. You know, the, the days yeah, so where have you worked? You, you've worked all over the place, right? Is that that's part of it, right? Yeah, I think so. I mean, I I, I travelled the world like a band was it going on tour, but never going home. You know, <laughs> so, hey, rock and roll. Yeah. Love it. I still didn't make my way back yet, uh, <laughs> sadly, you know, and sometimes. But no, I left uh, Perth and we moved to ha- Hayman Island and the Barrier Reef and then to Toronto in Canada. And it, I did a couple of stints in Asia during my apprenticeship in, in Taipei and Singapore. And then I uh, wound up in Switzerland in the mountains in this hotel opening. I was the sourcier for a restaurant 
which is a pretty serious sort of position to have. And well, I what's thought it, that so I'd be charge. the one doing the the meats and fish and yeah. the proteins anyway, and um, all the sauces. Right. So that's the key position in the kitchen um, yeah. when you're cooking. And the service was called in German, and I remember sort of trying to figure out what the chef was saying. And I'd worked with him in Taipei previously. Um, and I'd say, chef, um, what was that again? And he'd shut me down. No, just, I'll tell you in English in a minute. And he used to forget. And I was a sorcier, so I was at the center of it. It all revolves around me, but I didn't know what to cook. So I'd look over and see what the intermediate was doing, the guy doing the veg. And I'd go, okay, he's, if he's put on courgettes, that means I need to put on a lamb. Or if he's put on risotto, that means I've got to get a piece of turbot out or something like that. So that was really that was really tough, but uh, but a lot of fun. I don't know why, and I felt like it was an imposter kind of imposter syndrome sort of thing, you know, that why was why was this young Australian kid in the sorcier position of two restaurants in this Swiss hotel? Somehow I was. <laughs> no, but I want to go back and find like for me hearing you went oh I went to, I found myself in Taipei and then Singapore and then somehow ended up in Switzerland like no how do you get. Like how do you, how does the how do those dots connect? Oh, they, funnily enough, they do connect in a way. Um, Singapore was because I I worked for a, where I did my apprenticeship was owned by a Singaporean hotel company, right? And they used to do an exchange every year with their chefs. And I was lucky enough when I was nineteen to be dropped into Chinatown in Singapore where this hotel was. Yeah, um, cooking, and I was just blown away. I mean, I was blown <laughs> away, and I fell in love with that sort of food. Just it knocked me out. Anyway. Um, when I was working for Heyman, they did a similar thing. They had a sister hotel in Taipei, and that's where I met this Swiss guy who'd been spending a lot of time right. in Australia. Anyway, um, I did my promotion thing in Taipei, went back to Heyman, moved to Canada, and um, there was a, there was an earthquake in Taipei. And I remember emailing him from from Toronto saying, hey, Martin, how you doing? Um, did, did the earthquake get you kind of thing? And he goes, yeah, I was thrown out of my bed. By the way, I'm sick of it here. I'm going back to... <laughs> Switzerland, I'm going to Zermatt, and there's this hotel opening. By the way, what are you doing? Wow, right. You're coming to Zermatt, right? And I'm like, uh, I can't say no. So I quit my job in in Toronto and flew over to Zermatt into the mountains, and it was, you know, this town with no electric cars. It was horse and buggy, (laughs) golf carts, snowing. Never, you know, from Western Australia, you don't get a lot of snow. (laughs) (laughs) And then I was just in this hotel, and we had two restaurants in there, and it was brilliant. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss plushcare.com slash weight loss it, it is crazy how that industry and I know a little bit about that industry you mentioned Marco Pierre White so my cousin or my wife's cousin Nick Taplin is in business with Marco Pierre White so I've met him a few wow. times and again rock and roll miserable as fuck looks like he's hanging all the time doesn't want to talk <laughs> I'm like that is rock and roll Yeah. but where it takes you around the world to end up in London of all places like is the plan to go full circle or have you been have you been to America or not um, no, or Paris I like I, I, don't, I just say that because I just think Paris and New York are two places where cooked rock in those and roll cities. chefs yeah, yeah. I'd, I'd like to cook in those cities I'd love to, I'd love to you know freak scene pop ups in those locations yeah. Yeah. that'd be a lot of fun um, you know maybe permanent ones one day but Actually, funnily enough, I did go to France the following year. So from Switzerland, a good mate from Australia, one of my best mates, Mike, he was um, 
he was in he, he was a sort of semi pro snowboarder and mountain biker. And yeah. He was living in Chamonix. <laughs> and he goes, tell you what, there's this uh, Norwegian guy who wants to back a restaurant. We can we can be partners and we can sort of do this restaurant in um, in Chamonix next year. Uh, I said okay. I was 25 at the time. I mean, we were pretty good cooks, I think, but we didn't know anything about running a restaurant or managing a business or any of those things. So we just jumped into it and said, yeah, we can do this. And that was bloody hard. (laughs) (laughs) We basically ripped apart this old Savoyard restaurant. So it was a fondue restaurant or something, right? So it's all the the wood paneling around the sides, stunk of cheese. We had to rip them off. And then we we pulled the place apart and then went, okay, this is how we're going to put it back together. And thought- how are we going to put it back together? <laughs> so <laughs> as it happened, uh, Mike, my mate, he had all these friends who were like um, ski, we used to call them ski bums. They were basically guys who had trades, but they'd snowboard or ski all day and yeah. they'd do a bit of work at night, in, usually in bars. But we knew guys who were electricians, plumbers, all kinds, painters and decorators. So, okay, you guys come and work for cheap at nighttime and we'll give you beer and stuff like that as well. Um, and, and we did. That's how we put the restaurant back together. And we opened it really late in the season. Uh, and, and it was against all odds. You know, we had maybe there's a couple across the road at a newspaper shop or whatever it was. And they said, what are you going to be making? And I said, oh, well, I'm going to do all this Pan-Asian stuff. And they're going, like what? I said, well, I went down to the market the other day. I saw rabbits. And um, I'm thinking of doing a Thai green curry of rabbit. And they went, oh, no, 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 no. <laughs> <laughs> that won't work. Rabbit is for stewing. I said, well, a curry is kind of a stew. No, 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 no. Didn't want to know about it. So anyway, we did. We did put the rabbit on, sadly. I mean, I'm not a meat eater anymore, so I'm not advocating rabbit use yeah, here, by the way. That. I heard you've, did you've you? gone vegetarian. Yeah, just <laughs> oh, no, the pes- Pescatarian. Pescatarian, yeah. excuse me. Yeah, no, um, that's true. But uh, anyway, we, we, we put the rabbit on. We put all the dishes on that we thought would be fun. Pan-Asian stuff in the middle of Chamonix, 2000. Yeah, the year 2000. And I went off. It was busy. It was great. Right. Yeah. Okay. And so the rabbit worked. The rabbit worked. It all worked. It was just <laughs> bloody hard work. We'd been trying to go snowboarding one Sunday because we hadn't been riding for days and days and days, weeks maybe. We get up there and we did about three runs and went, let's just go and rent a DVD. <laughs> <We're naked. laughs> Why pescatarian? You've have you cooked too many too many animals in the maybe, past? Maybe. Maybe. Um, I don't know. Ian told me, so big shout out to Ian. He's in the green room. <laughs> I was in business with Ian. He's, he's a legend. And he's like, yeah, he can't be trusted. Scott can't be trusted. He <laughs> says, why? Tell me. Yeah. Why, why have you gone that way? Do you mind me asking? I think, first of all, I was just feeling um, like I, I was probably consuming way too much meat. I think probably overdid it. If I saw a menu that had appetizers, main courses, and desserts that had any kind of meat in it, I'd go for the lot. Mm. You know, foie gras ice cream. Yep, I'll take it. <laughs> oh, oh. <laughs> it does exist. Does it? I wrote a book about foie gras once. Anyway, that's another story. <laughs> anyway, um, and I was feeling I was feeling unhealthy about it, and then I started struggling with the idea that you know, there's so many. Well, there's always been. Um, plenty of vegan options in the world. Uh, but now there seems to be more and more knowledge about how to do great vegan food and, and look at look at other mm. ingredients. I was making menus that were just about all meat. I was it was for me it was it was too easy. I was I was being lazy. I was going, yep, pork belly's gotta be on here, maybe a bit of pork belly on that one, chicken with that. And I'd just do everything. All my classics would go on the same menu. And I remember someone wrote about it once. Uh, a journalist came in and said, it's it's as you'd expect a Scott Holsworth menu, meat heavy. And I thought, wow, I Ooh. am a bit meat heavy. Wow, I never thought of that. And that's how I ate as well. So I cut it out and then I thought, I'm just going to do it for now and see how I feel. And I did it for a few months. Ended up going on a trip to Thailand where everything was quite meaty. So I started eating it a bit again and then thought, oh, hang on, I'm over this and just stopped eating it. And I, I did lose weight. I was probably, a, you know, when I was at the peak of my, when I was, was much heavier, I was probably about 15 kilos more than I am now. And I just, I just, when I stopped eating it, I felt lighter. 
I just I, my energy levels were, were, were really doing well and uh, I don't know I don't I, I'm a bit of a hypocrite I suppose because I still sell it in the restaurant but as Adam Yauk from the Beastie Boys said I'd rather be a hypocrite than the same guy forever so- <laughs> <laughs> well people so- still love it don't they and yeah it's you know the street food industry and I don't know whether you were before your time or whatever I remember I mean how many years ago that I went to came to the restaurant maybe it was before maybe five years ago at least i mean the, i think you came to the launch of the harvey nicks one that's yeah so that might have been the last yeah time. and what was that underground was that was that freak that was that's Kurabuta, yeah. yeah so did you come so, to freak scene in so yes i did I love that one that, yeah yeah so but and then now there's been an explosion like street food seems to be like the thing mm. the trendy thing that everyone's gone down even eating it on the street food in street markets but all over the world it's just completely blown yeah. up so were you before your time in that space or not know. was there a few Maybe I, I think you know um, I had I had a menu category on um, in in the very first group of pop up in Chelsea and um, I called I, I had you know quirky names for menu categories and one of them was called junk food Japan because we had wagyu sliders sashimi pizza oh, uh, these wings and ribs kind of thing and that was my sort of junk food section and our PR company at the time I was, I was writing a book um, about you know the food of Kurabuta and they said why don't you just call it junk food Japan um, and that was sort of around the time when this street food uh, thing was bubbling away i think in the background so i don't know if i was there at the beginning of oh, it well, or... let's say you started it trailblazer <laughs> love that where do you see like either, either freak scene and i'm asking personally no, but also, <laughs> also if you like if you were ahead of your time like where do you see restaurants generally going but also freak scene have you is this a pitch now if you you've invested now it's already done it's not just in case i will, t- I will tell you where this is coming from so last time i was at freak scene you uh and the general manager at the time gia had recommended a book called unreasonable hospitality yeah which is was written by a guy who was behind the number one restaurant in the world in New York. It was called Eleven Madison Park. Yeah. Is that right? Yeah. And it, this restaurant took off not because of the – well, partly because of the food, but because of the hospitality. So it started off with little things like people would come and eat and they'd overhear them saying, oh, we've run out of money in the parking meter. So the waiter would go, don't worry, I've got this. Go out. Where's your car? I'll put money in the meter for you. Or another couple who left a bottle of champagne oh, in the yeah. freezer at home. So they said, give us your keys. We'll go to your house, take the bottle out, put it in the fridge, leave some chocolates and a card because it's their anniversary. Mm. And so then they went, well, if we can do this spur of the moment, why can't we do this for everyone? So why don't we find out why people are coming in? Like a couple whose holiday was cancelled, so they spent the money, holiday to Hawaii was cancelled, so they spent the money on dinner instead. So they took them into the private room and oh, yeah. set up palm trees and beach towels. They filled it up with sand as well, Filled it they? up with sand. Yeah. Oh, yeah, really? Yeah. And so then I basically it. it became every time every person that went in was given an unreasonable amount of hospitality. Mm. And so I followed this restaurant online and I was looking into it and it seems that they're now doing Because they eventually got to the point they didn't even have a menu. You just walk in and they go, yeah. what do you feel like tonight? What are you in the mood for? What do you like generally? Okay, here's what we'll go and make up for you. It seems now they're doing plant-based dining. That's all they do. That's all they do. Yep. So it's fascinating for me watching the yeah. way this restaurant has developed and now it's still it's still finding ways to be new. Absolutely. Because their, their whole thing was, I think they were struggling a bit like me, like thinking about the sustainability of things. Right. And and they, now, they, now they think they've got a more sustainable restaurant on their hands, whereas before they – they could, and like 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 Noma, they they they're planning to close down, right? They don't think that there's there's a future for what they do. Really? Yeah. 
So what? So and what do you think? Where where do you think freak scene could possibly end up? It's edging in that direction. Yeah. Um, certainly, we're look, looking at sus- more sustainable products. Meat. I mean, you, you, I've given you that uh, mushroom thing, right? Yeah. Right. So this is a product. It's a byproduct of um, dried sh- the, sh- the dried shiitake production. So they cut the stems and they used to get thrown away mm. or whatever happened, turned into manure. Maybe I don't know. Fertilizer. Sorry. Um, so. Someone's come up with this this thing that's a bit like um, crispy duck, but it's made with the leftover stems of shiitake. And I kid you not, if I if I fry it up in an air fryer or pan fry it and toss it with ho- hoisin and honey, you'll be like, if I didn't tell you what it was, I'm pretty sure you'd go, that's meat, and I think it's duck. It's wild, and it's completely sustainable, but it's using up a product that was thrown away previously. So I think we're definitely edging in that direction Yeah. in terms of our, our, our produce. Um, style-wise, who knows? It's just got to remain exciting, right? Because yeah. Yes, whilst I still rest on my laurels and put out the sashimi pizza still and, and the Wagyu sliders and all those things, I think, you know, you've still got to think about what's coming next and you've got to put in a few little magic bits and touches here and there to keep people smiling. Mm. And as – so I'm thinking comedy-wise because I love the connections between comedy and I love watching Scott make a mistake. Like you said, the the was it sweet potato that you left in the oven? And then that became it fermented, and then that became oh, right. Yeah, we made it, started making a vinegar, uh, a dressing out of it. Yeah, yeah. I just forgotten about it, and then started fermenting a bit, and I threw it in a jar of soy sauce and vinegar and lemon juice, and it started maturing. And it, we got this beautiful sweet potato tosazu sauce. Wow! And who had it? Did you have it first? I had it first. Fine. Oh, after a couple of weeks, I was fine. <laughs> <laughs> just had to line the guts first. <laughs> as good as new. <laughs> yeah, but it is. Yeah, it's great. This whole stuff around sustainability. I'm big on nutrition. Uh, I yeah, love yeah, food. Yeah. I have to eat four, five thousand calories a day, and I'm also I've gone gluten free just to. I spoke about it on a couple of podcasts. I've got a gut issue from playing rugby, taking too many painkillers, bloody body bar. So right, I'm trying to reverse the issue, which is probably impossible. But they now know around gut health and brain health they're linked aren't they so yes. i'm, yeah, I'm yeah. going down the route of trying to change my nutrition and the gut biome and stuff like that to help whatever it is so yeah you see i can't even talk about it because i don't even know what it is but i know <laughs> that it needs to be done yeah one thing i found on and so a couple of things being in australia yeah always at so healthy i know it's the weather but fishing on the great barrier reef they took us out i don't know whether you can still do this but we fished and then whatever we kept and I didn't keep anything, but the fisherman with us caught a load of shit, put it in a, an ice um, tub, and then we cooked it but back at right. uh, Ellie Beach when we went, went oh, back beautiful. there. And it was just, I mean, it was incredible, not just because it was there, but the taste of it being fresh and the outdoor living of um, salad, vegetables, fruit, like absolutely love it. But in the UK, it's, there's a couple of things, isn't there? Well, one in Scotland where I live, there's an obesity crisis. Like it's it's crazy, like yeah. the, the obesity stuff. But I can understand. At first, I couldn't understand because I was an athlete and everything was prepped for me. Five thousand calories a day. I'm training, so I've got it easy, right? Because you're literally being made like a child. They're making it. But now having four children, and again the time, but also the cost. I, people do say it's cheap, you know, especially these air fryers now. It's great. You can get a yeah. cup of chicken breast. The way that you cook vegetables in them is amazing. It can yeah. sound. It can taste brilliant, but. The education isn't there in the UK. I don't know what it's like in Australia, but everyone wants to eat healthy, have good food. But the go-to still can be, like a lot of mates, chicken Kievs. I don't even know if you know yeah, what yeah, they are. Yeah. You can bang them in the oven, microwave lasagnas. Yeah. The education on eating healthy, and, mm. the, and you're talking about the sustainability side. I think the issue comes down to one, education, but also yeah. like the affordability of doing yep. that or not? I, I, I mean, I, I think you're 100% right. Okay. And this is something I started to uh, discuss with uh, someone recently. 
I, I, I don't live with my kids. I live in Horsham in West Sussex and I go down and cook them dinner from time to time. And I know that it's a busy household and they, they do eat well and all that. But um, what I wanted to do from is put a, a box together because you know, I was making these freak scene meal kits during lockdown. So I'd painstakingly put all these courses together and sell it to people all over the country. And it was it was interesting, actually. And that's what got me thinking about it initially. But I wanted to put a box together. I thought, what if um, my son Jack comes home and it's his turn to make dinner tonight? There's three, com- four components in there. It's healthy stuff. It's not just stuff that they have to chuck in the oven. Because let's face it, there's time constraints as well as cost constraints uh, for families. And their mum, you know, is super busy with work as well. So what if what if he makes it one night and then Lily makes it the next night and William makes it another night? And it's stuff that's one, two, three components and a bag of salad and then suddenly you've got something that's far healthier but they can take ownership on it of and be proud mm. of and i thought what if we could put this together as a i hope no one's stealing this idea can you can we cut this from the record <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but put something together in a, in box form that was affordable and nutritious and mm. thoughtful and all the all the hard work or the heavy lifting gets taken out of it by you know whoever's prepping it like hello fresh but yeah we don't want them to do it we're gonna do it <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> it's gonna be the freak scene box um <laughs> Freak scene for families. There you go. That rolls. There off the it is. Freak yeah. scene for families. Yeah. Well, I mean, I've used HelloFresh before for yeah. that simple reason. Like we've got four kids, busy house, traveling on the road. Yeah. Like stuff like that is yeah. is gold, I think. But still, there's still an education part. Like you get exactly. Yeah. So it's no, no, knowing knowing a bit more about the ingredients and yeah, why what you're the using herbs them and, and the veg. Like totally. Yeah. I think yeah, you're totally right. That education because when they come out, when they've they've left home and they go off to uni and then they've got a job and. Do they know what what's good for them? Even they'll find out eventually, or they might not. That's the crazy thing. I know we're going down a bit of a rabbit hole, no <laughs> pun intended. But in education, I know they do food and tech or food tech, yeah. what they used to call it back in the day. But the education for probably the most important thing in one's life is health, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. You, you don't talk about. They might change that depending on what your school. But from what I did and from what I know, it's, it's not about it's not a thing where you talk about right these are the different vegetables not necessarily just broccoli and sprouts sprouts ruin me as well by the way (laughs) toxic i know (laughs) you think that that should be the number especially in scotland where obesity is an all-time high should be the number one of how to cook and how to look after yourself yeah yeah they just is mental and now that we know about gut health that you're talking about mm. you know you know I, d- I only discovered that in recent years when i met megan rossi at the australian um australia day thing you know she's a, she's a gut health doctor who's quite well revered in the uk she's one young australian of the year i think right yeah uh, back then when yeah. I, um that's when i started to, to give it more of a consideration i until until then i hadn't really considered it either but yeah you're right getting it into the schools i know uh, my kids do do food tech and they do really basic stuff and it's all right that knowledge isn't in there, you know, adding those elements of what's good for your gut health, what's good for your carbs, what, what are healthy carbs, what are complex carbohydrates compared to white potatoes and, and white pasta and stuff like white rice, which are, you know, empty, mm. you know, they're, they're not that healthy for you. Problem is though, the kids listen. And like, I mean that in the best possible way. Like my, my daughter is 13 and there are nights where I'm like, should we do takeaway tonight? And she, she says, I think I'm just going to make something, Daddy. And she'll make up a pasta salad. Yeah. I'm like, you are nailing this. Hey, didn't she make those um, pizza things you were- Oh, no, that was the other one. Yeah, oh. the, 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 no, the nine-year-old. The nine-year-old's amazing and that she'll just come up with mad-ass ideas. <laughs> and so I was like, what do you want for dinner tonight? And she went, can we make pizza dumplings? I love it. I'm like, I don't even know what that is. So I had to Google- like. And, and we ended up just making – so basically pizza dough and then whatever the topping is, she just wanted, I guess, margarita. So we just put like the tomato sauce and the grated cheese in the middle. Yeah. But instead of cooking it like a pizza, we then just folded it up over like a dumpling. And then the secret was she accidentally 
put so much tomato sauce and cheese on one of them that it dribbled out over the top. Oh, nice. And then you put that in the oven, bake it for 20 minutes. Ooh. And it's like, it's a little pizza dumpling. She's, she knows, she's nailed it. She's, she's like, can we have pumpkin soup in a pumpkin tonight? So I've got to hollow out a pumpkin and make <laughs> pumpkin soup. No, it's the other one who's more, right. And she, but she will eat any old shit like that, the, the young one. She'll yep. just junk food. The older one will, yeah, make a salad. She'll make something really healthy. She'll make smoothies. Yep. She's vegetarian. Oh, cool. Right. So she's all of that. But then the other, you know, last week she was like, I just want a Domino's pizza. Yeah. I'm like, you know they're awful for you. I know. Do you know <laughs> what I mean? It's the same reason kids smoke, even though they know smoking's well, not even though. They smoke because they know smoking is bad for <laughs> yeah. them. Kids are gonna eat shit food because it's bad for <laughs> yeah. them. Yeah. But you're right, there's gotta be a balance of how to how to get through to them that yeah, but you need you to can't s- live on dominoes. You need <laughs> to <it's-> yeah, <laughs> yeah, of course. Is it, yeah. is it the same because uh, so they're back in Australia? Now I don't, I don't know how they're much you want to show. They're here at the moment. Oh, no, they're, they're here. here in the moment. So, so basically, up until 2019, my wife and kids we were all living here in the UK. The kids got homesick. My wife was getting some work in Australia. She's a singer, so we went. Yeah, let you, you guys move there. I'll do ten weeks at a time in the UK, and then I'll go back for ten weeks and back and forward making the last leg. COVID made things trickier, but they're with me now in the UK. Um, they're, they're they're here for five weeks. We just did Glastonbury Festival. Oh, how was that? <sighs> Did you see Elton? Yep. No, you didn't. Yep. Pretty amazing. Oh, my word. But, Lucky you. <laughs> but amazing in that way, and we were discussing this, that in the way that parenting, like Glastonbury with kids is like parenting generally. High, greater moments than you could ever hope for mm. because your kids are there and shitter moments than you could ever yeah. hope where's, for. Where's the toilets? Like, yeah. Literally, Elton, 40 minutes in, both my girls were like, no, nah, we're done. We're done. Oh, no. And we're oh. like, no. And then, no, nah, we're bored. The only thing that saved us was there was a couple next to us with next to us with a toddler who was also getting bored, and so my youngest decided to play with the toddler, and then my eldest played, and then the three of them just hung out together, and that got us through Elton. Like they didn't pay any attention to it, so thank uh-huh. God. That's nice. where you give them the iPad or the iPhone or something. <laughs> yeah. How good was that, John? Cigarettes. Yeah, exactly. Take whatever you want. That, that vape pen. Yeah. You can draw. You can smoke. There's a bit of cannabis in there. Just keep the noise down. We have got 40 minutes. How good was um, Elton? Oh, just El- like banger after banger. Oh. And bearing in mind, you know, the previous year, Paul McCartney mm. kind of. I mean, there was a moment with Paul McCartney or, or the previous year where he said, every time we play a Beatles song, you all hold your phones up in the air and it looks like a galaxy of stars. And then I play a new song and it looks like a black hole. <laughs> but I'm going to do it anyway. Here's a new song. And people are like, we no, don't want him. But yeah. that's the thing with it, Paul McCartney. I couldn't, like Elton's, I knew every yep. single tune. Yep. Like, every single one. Whereas Paul McCartney, I've probably named three and I feel bad because it's the generation <laughs> before the Beatles. But yeah. But to have every and we were way up the back on the hill, but every single person singing, whether it was Crocodile Rock or you know Rocket Man or just every single person singing along, I've never seen that happen yeah. before. It was amazing. It was unreal. I, I did. I feel bad because I, I, again, judgmental watching it on TV. I don't know if you watched it. Scott, a little bit, yeah. But Blondie was on, and oh, yeah, I miss Blondie. Yeah, she'd lost her voice. I think. I oh, know. Oh, really? Yeah, she, she, she was. Yeah, oh. she was on on the maybe. Saturday. No, Sunday, oh, 5.30. I can tell yeah. you when it was. There I was in go. the kids' field. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it was, my daughter at that time was like, Daddy, can I go through the tunnel? Yeah, sure. I wish I was. I can just hear Blondie from What's here. What's that noise? Oh. Was yeah. clear, that squawk, it was Blondie. I felt oh, bad. No. Oh, wow. Was, yeah, because she, she had a few bangers as well. Glastonbury, I've never been. But you know what? Actually seeing it this year and all the kids and stuff like that and all the love mm. there, it, yeah. it's one. And again, it was decent weather. 
Yes. So, oh, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. And that, that made it. I was actually, you know, I could potentially, potentially do it. It's fun. It's it's like a city. It's 250,000 people. Wow. It's enormous. We will work. I, I think I averaged 22,000 steps a day. Yeah. Just 10, 10 to 12. I think my biggest day was 15 kilometers. Yeah. So, you know, life with kids, Glastonbury with kids is like life with kids. Mm. The, the great moments are better, and the, but the, the shit moments are shit. Well, like I said, I've got four kids. I've got twins that are five. <laughs> oh, wow. Last round. Yeah. Oh, wow. I know. I know. When we got the news, uh, we were all so happy. Um, we're going to scan uh, baby one. And I was like, well, why have you called it baby one? Is it just a, a number <sighs> next to it? And they said, no, there's two. So happy. Yeah, so boy who's 12 now, daughter's 10 yesterday, and then we had twins last round. Yeah, right. game changer. Oh, just not know. enough hands, just not enough pair of hands. Don't yeah. take all of them to Glastonbury. No. Exactly. <laughs> we're going to America, we're going to Aspen in a couple of weeks, and it was oh, wow. one of them. My mate's got a house there, and uh, he's like, oh, you must go, you must go. And every time I've been like, oh, you know, I'd like, I'd love to go, mm. but uh, how are we getting there with all the kids? And then this time around, we just thought, look, if not now, then when? Like, when? Yeah. Ideally, when they're 20. <laughs> yeah. yeah, we're going to go across now with the kids. Used to be one of the best comedy festivals in the world in Aspen as well. Was it? Yeah, because they, they realised that uh, Hollywood execs would all go and holiday in Aspen. <laughs> and so they went, well, why don't we just take a festival to them? So be- I, I played 2005 and the big acts were, let's see, Jim Carrey was there, Cheech and Chong, Sarah Silverman, uh, the whole cast of Family Guy, wow. uh, the, a reunion of the movie Waiting for Guffman, uh, Eddie Izzard. <laughs> it was just, really? and I tell you the most nuts thing I ever saw, I was supporting a, a guy called Dane Cook and the opening act was a rabbit. There's a theme here today, right? <laughs> yeah. And they said, this rabbit's going to open. And we were like, what do you mean a rabbit? And they went, a rabbit. And we were like, a guy in a rabbit costume? No. Was it a rabbit puppet? No. And we were like, what do you mean? And they said, you just have to watch this. So they come out and they put like a whole bunch of flight cases leading up to the microphone, which is on a stand. And it was like, ladies and gentlemen, please welcome Spike the rabbit. <laughs> and one of the flight cases opens up and I swear to God, a rabbit, a live rabbit hops out, climbs up each flight case to the microphone puts his paws on the microphone, <laughs> puts his mouth up to the microphone and starts moving. And then over the PA here, good evening, everybody. My name's Spike the Rabbit. I'm going to tell you a couple of jokes. <laughs> and we're all watching, going, what on earth is going on? And bearing in mind, in Aspen, that it's so high that they have oxygen bottles backstage in case you're not getting enough oxygen. Wow. So you can take some in before you go on stage. Altitude so- high. Yes. Just for the listeners. <laughs> <laughs> so we're watching this thinking, have we not had enough oxygen? Am I hallucinating a talking rabbit right now? Mm. The only thing I can think is that they somehow rig up a microphone and maybe pump some liquid food into the mic so that the rabbit knows to nibble on it and that therefore makes it look like it was talking. So it's like, anyway, I got to go. I got a, I got a wife and 300 kids at home. <laughs> but then the, the most amazing bit was the rabbit thank you very much and good night. And then it sits back on the box, the audience applauds, and then it gets up one more time and goes, thank you, thank you very much. And then back on the box and then down and hops down and goes all the way down. 
literally no idea how it was done. Wow. And Only I'm, in America. I'm still pretty sure I didn't hallucinate. I'm 100% sure. <laughs> well, they've got cannabis shops all around. Not that, not that I'm on them, but they've got cannabis shops around. But was Jim Carrey there then? Uh, Jim it, it, Carrey, I think, received maybe a Lifetime Achievement Award at that particular festival. The irony of him going back, because Dumb and Dumber is one of my favourite oh, movies. Of course, Which yeah. was them going to Aspen. Have you seen yeah. Dumb and Dumber? That's right, yeah, I remember that, yeah. Yeah, greatest, one of the greatest movies. I oh. love Jim Carrey. He's, he looks wild, though, doesn't he? Like, crazy. So comedy would have been his, like, that his start before Yeah, I remember seeing movies. him when I was... 18 or 19, uh, 19 it was, I was on a family holiday to the States. We went to Las Vegas and I saw that there was at the Las Vegas comedy store, Jim Carrey was performing. Nobody knew who he was. He hadn't been on TV at this point. Huh. I oh, No, he'd been on a show called In Living Colour, a sketch show. That's the only thing he'd done. Um, but me being a comedy nerd was like, I've got to go and watch Jim Carrey. Wow. Uh, and I remember the, the rest of the acts. There was like John Pignette, Angel Salazar, um, yeah, and – Jim Car- and he wasn't even the headliner. Like, he wasn't the, the, the biggest act on the bill. And he came out and did all this amazing physical comedy stuff. So, yeah, he's, he's been, he was his start within, was in stand-up. Yeah, so And then cool. just bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger. And yeah. he's also very zen right now. He's gone through that rock and roll stage and he's now like a zen master. Oh, yeah. nice. Well, comedians have always, like, interested me. You can maybe talk to to this mm. about how it is because you have to be the creative but you've got to be loud you've got to be brushed I found it really interesting at the start of the show you said that you've got two sides to you one is that I imagine the on stage persona and presence and the other one is quiet and shy there was a great thing once written about Robin Williams as an actor and it said Robin's really only got two characters his stage persona and his real persona mm. and I think that applies to a lot of stand-up comedians one hour photo He's is is this is the real Robin Williams, the really quiet guy, and then something like Good Morning Vietnam is the stage persona. I read a thing once that said that actors and comedians share a whole bunch of traits with sociopaths. Mm. <laughs> One of them is distancing yourself from a situation, looking at it impassively, like what's going. You know, someone could be having a breakdown in front of you, but you're you're taking a step back and you're watching it. All these things, but the only difference is. Comedians tend to be introverts, whereas actors tend to be extroverts. So, and this is a massive generalization, but an actor might walk into a room and go, I'm going to own this room. I remember seeing an interview with, I think, Ray Winston saying he's very shy, but because of that, he'll turn up to a party and go, All right, everyone, I'm here. Mm. Like, whereas comedians generally, is a massive generalization, will kind of sit in the corner because in order to be a good comedian, you have to be a good observer. Mm. And you can't be an observer if you're owning the room. So a lot of comedians, a lot of my favourite comedians, are quiet and thoughtful and we'll sit back and we'll watch everything else that's going on and then we'll turn that into into comedy later because that's our outlet. So, yeah, it, there's a weird – we all. I mean, there's something wrong with us. Mm. <laughs> there's something <laughs> wrong with you if you need to do a job where you are constantly looking from appro- for approval from a group of strangers every 30 seconds. Mm. Like every job – you go – Hey, am I funny? And you do a thing and they laugh and you go, right. Am I still funny? <laughs> right. Am I still funny? And you're basically doing that for an hour. Like mm. if that was a toddler, you'd go, just give it up. Yeah. <laughs> Is there an expectation constantly? I mean, for you to be, if you see people randomly. Yeah, there probably is, mm. but I forget. I, like I forget about it for a number of reasons. Firstly, I forget 
you know, that I'm a comedian. Like, I think it's more important to be a normal person than it is to be funny constantly. And, like, there's there's nothing worse than being the constantly funny guy at the party to the point where everybody else is like, dude, shut up. <laughs> like, you don't have to be on constantly. And I've, I think I've learnt that being around comedians is comedians don't like other comedians to be on constantly. Yeah. But, yeah, sometimes I do forget that and I'll be talking to someone, you know, like <laughs> it's really funny where – like in Glastonbury, for instance, you know, people will stop you and go, hey, I'm a big fan of the show. And you're like, oh, thanks. And and they're like ready for you to be funny. And I'm not. Mm. And I'll be like, what are you, how's Glastonbury going? And I'll be like, oh, my God. So I just took my daughter to see the thing and it was really amazing. And they, you can see them looking at me going, oh, my God, you're not funny. Yeah, <laughs> Where's yeah. the punchline? Yeah. Waiting for you. Oh, my God, you're a normal person. Stop it. This is too <laughs> weird. So there is a bit of an expectation, I suppose. But I've found... Uh, it, oh, this is probably really lazy on my behalf. Okay, I'm going to admit this is really lazy on my behalf. I found it's much easier just to be nice. Mm. <laughs> and then people walk away and go, oh, he was really nice. Yeah. And you go, oh, thank God I didn't have to be funny. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Whereas it's a lot of work to be funny. Mm. Like it's it's a lot. You know, I, Brendan O'Carroll won a comedy award a few years back for Mrs. Brown's Boys. Right, and he got up on stage at the British Comedy Awards, and there's all these edgy comedians there, and there was a real feeling of looking down on Mrs. Brown's Boys, the lowest common denominator comedy. And Brendan O'Carroll got up and he said, "I'd like to thank you all for this award." And he said, "And I'd like us all to remember that every comedian in the room, no matter what kind of comedy we do, we all work fucking hard to make people laugh." And you could see every comic in the room go, "Oh yeah, it's." It's a. He's not taking the easy way out. It's just as hard to make jokes, regardless of what they are. So yeah, no, I'm really lazy. No, if people meet me on the street, I'm just going to be normal. Yeah, it really is though, isn't it? As in laughing is one of the best things you can do as a human. Having the ability to and cook food as well. Actually, oh. I've got to, hey, I've got two of the best people in here to fulfil most lives. Uh, I don't know what I'm doing here. What am I doing here? Nothing bit of comedy and i can cook on a barbecue but they say comedy is like making someone laugh it's what women are attracted to most in men you can't be really small and funny though i don't think it's the same thing we... Danny, what about danny devito i mean yeah oh look there's a very disturbing trend in comedy at the moment and i'm not i'm not happy with it of comedians who are actually quite fit yeah do you know what i mean like up until a point you didn't mm. have to be good looking all you had to do was be funny and yeah. now there are guys who are good looking and funny and it's like, oh, come on, choose one. This is happening in kitchens too, I've noticed. Really? Yeah. Interesting. Oh, they're, they're all zen and lean oh, and vegetarian they're totally and they're eating chest. well. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Tattoos. Yeah, right? Yeah. used to be cooking was, or for me, comedy was in lieu of all that other stuff. Exactly the same here. Now you have to be all the other stuff as well. God. So, okay. That's why I started wearing this hat. <laughs> it is cool though, isn't it, how it is linked to the lifestyle, the food, the music. Yeah. Like comedy, like it is now all, I mean, not that people don't go out and get absolutely wasted, but from what I'm seeing, it's a little less than it was. Like we'd go out on a Thursday, Friday, Saturday just to get absolutely fucking smashed. Yeah. And Sunday, if you could repeat it on a Super Sunday, you'd do it and then rock up to training on Monday. And I think back on that, it's like there was no festivals, yeah. you know, there was no comedy, there was no movies and stuff like that. It was just a moment in time. It was, I say moment in time. Oasis and Blur. Do you know what I mean? Just go out and get fucking wrecked <laughs> yeah. and do that. So yeah. I think we're at a point now where you, well, you only have to look at social media and the stuff that people are interested in and what pops up on yeah. algorithms and makes people smile, makes people laugh. You know, the food, the food and drink industry is 
just through the roof yeah. of, of people's interests. Are you yeah. finding? Here's a question for you: Are you finding people are, are drinking less alcohol at the moment? Mm. Um, no, no, no. Actually, because you've told me this, they're, they're drinking a lot at Freak Scene, right? Yeah, at Freak. Well, Freak Scene. I don't know if we're some sort of anomaly, but um, people on a Wednesday night or a Thursday night, you know, not traditional drinking nights. Maybe Thursdays are mm. are, are really let going for it. So if we if we nudge someone. Uh, a little one of our shots in front of someone, they'll go for it, and then they might go another one. And right, yeah, no, they're not holding back. Interesting. Yeah. Okay, because mm. there's a bit of a yeah temperance movement at the moment. I would say a bit of non-alco. Yeah, more people are into that. I was yeah. like, what the hell is that? And I've actually so in Scotland, it's zero tolerance. You can't have one drink and drive. Right. So I went to watch <clears throat> Marcus Mumford uh, from Mumford and Sons yeah, yeah. In, over in Glasgow. Drove, um, and I was like. Fuck. Do we get a Heineken Zero? I was like, and it, it actually works because you're there, you know, you're holding a cold, yeah, a cold yeah. one. You're holding a cold beer and then you can drive home at the end. So I, I was thinking, no chance. My mates from Wolfpack Lager, the three bars I'm involved in, will kill me for saying it because they're like, that ain't, that ain't beer. Wolfpack's not making a 0% alcohol beer yet. I said they should. They should. Yeah, they should. Absolutely. Yeah, they should. Yeah. Well, my argument with my mate was, well, I mean, he's got, he knows it more than me, is he said that everyone's like the, the biggest growth is in non-alcohol market. It's so zero percent IPAs, beers, yeah. Guinness, zero, yeah. and everyone's like that. You know, that's where the money needs to go and the funding. Said, but it's the biggest growth one. He said, but still, the market at the top end of like real alcohol right. is thriving. Like yeah, probably similar yeah. to that. Yeah. There is this perception that it isn't there. There's a bit of a thing post lockdowns where people either people either stopped drinking during lockdowns or went the other way and drank a lot during lockdowns. <laughs> mm. and now gone back into, the, into real life and gone. Oh, maybe I'll just pull back a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. But also, I've noticed that. Like especially amongst sports people as well, you're talking about how you used to go out constantly. There was it made me think of there was an amazing instance in Australia last year or the year before. Um, there was a rugby league player was interviewed after a game and they were like, "So what are you up to tonight, mate? Going to get out on it?" And he was like joking around. He went, "Yeah, yeah, you know what I'm going to go. I'm going to go out out of the pub and uh, you know try pick up." Doesn't matter what, I'll take it home. <laughs> and, like, and then he was criticised for it and was spoken to by the club by going, you can't just say, I'll pick up, doesn't matter what, I'll take yeah. it home. You can't talk about women like that, blah, blah, blah. And then maybe six months later, one of the teams tried to, for pride, for uh, made a pride jersey. And then there was a few members of that team who weren't comfortable with it because of religious beliefs and mm. it all kind of kicked off. And then they interviewed that player who'd said, I'll pick up, doesn't matter what. And he said, yeah, I've kissed boys, I've kissed girls. And they were like, what? You, you, and he went, yeah, when I said I'll pick up, it doesn't matter what, <laughs> I kind of meant boys or girls. And it was like it made everyone reset and go, oh, my God, you're not the, like, you're not the person that we thought you are. Yeah. Misogynist pig. Like, no, exactly. Yeah. It was more. He was like kind of I'm bi-friendly. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's all right then. <laughs> and his whole point was even even when he said, oh, pick up no matter what, he got to the end and went, I'm kidding. I'll be going home. I'll be recovering. I'll be drinking water. I'll be making sure I'm looking good for tomorrow. Yeah. So it kind of feels like maybe that kind of massive bender kind of culture as in I've gone on a bender, a drinking bender, yeah. has maybe changed slightly. I don't know. Yeah. It's really interesting, Ruby, you mentioned the pride stuff. So naturally and culturally and rightly so, there's a big push for mm. the, the pride and diversity. But the one underlying issue in rugby is there's a huge religious – there's probably 40% of rugby players playing in the men's game that are from Fiji, 
Samoa, Tonga, mm-hmm. South Africa, where religion is everything. So after the games, generally the Fijians, South Africans, Samoans or Tongans would get man of the match uh, and they thank God straight away. Yeah. And I suppose being pushed down the route of diversity and these things is probably the wrong way to say it, to be pushed. But bringing in inclusivity into rugby is a really difficult one at the minute because we had a big issue with a player you might have heard of him, Israel Folau, yeah, who yeah. played for Australia. And yeah. we were talking about it recently with some mates, actually. So basically, Israel Folau, one of the most gifted athletes rugby union has ever seen, from Tonga, played for Australia, played on the wing at 15, one of the best players of our generation, just randomly tweeted something around gay people would go to hell. Or uh, I, I Don't quote me on the exactly what he said. Mm. It was a long tweet. Ended up getting sacked by the Australian Union. He ended up suing them and got millions of pounds out of them hmm. because he used religion and stuff like that. And rugby was fucking caught up in knots yeah. around it. It was, yeah, it, it's crazy. And, and one of the conversations that we've had in the group is like, we've got the World Cup in France. There's a big diversity play. We just did a big conference in Paris. The chairman, Bill Beaumont, who played for England, is there with the World Cup with the rainbow flags in the back. And, you know, some people would be happy with that. and there'll be 40% of people that disagree with that because of their religion. Really interesting space, especially in mm. rugby. Well, you know, from what I've read, uh, the irony is that a lot of the, you know, Pacific Islanders, Tonga, Samoa, etc., yeah. were absolutely fine with homosexuality and bisexuality and mm. the like until the English missionaries went over <laughs> with mm. Bibles and went, no, you yeah, have no. to stick to this. And they yeah. went, okay, well, then we'll stick to that. Yeah. And now they're going, but the di- Bible says this. And we're like, yeah, you know, but we've moved on a little bit. So, yeah, yeah it's such a... Confusing, tricky issue. Yeah, it is. And again, just again, while it's at the top of my my mind, so um, some like I just mentioned, the best rugby players in the world. So we had a family called the Tuolangis who were from Samoa that played for Leicester when I was there. Manu Tuolangi plays in the centre for England, one of the best mm. players ever. Four brothers, all massive. They're all six foot six, eighteen, nineteen, twenty stone. The fifth brother, through their religion and beliefs, or traditions and culture the fifth brother has to be a woman so julie is six foot nine six foot ten and the biggest of all of them really and, and has to she has to act, behave or has to behave wow. so we used to go around and like they're big into eating outdoors and stuff like cooking a barbecue and it's all the youngest has to serve and yeah. look after everyone but then also the women have to look after the men and Julie loved me because I'm six foot nine. So it was like, Shimbo, <laughs> Shimbo, Shimbo, you want a drink? Yeah, right. Crazy. Wow. Yeah. yeah. And I bring that up because, like, rugby league, I know that that's part of your kind of story. And again, knowing that you present the stuff for Channel 4. I had Sam Tompkins on, actually, the England captain. Oh, did you? Was, yeah, he was on this show a while ago. We did it remotely, so not quite the same. But yeah. are you both into rugby? Rugby Union, I'm going to put you on the spot here. I've, I've never followed rugby, and that's probably because when I where I grew up in Western Australia, there was well, it wasn't part of our um, our, our sporting makeup. There no. was all the AFL or Aussie rules and cricket um, and soccer, I suppose. But um, I remember someone at our school tried to tried to teach us rugby once when we were about grade seven. It was one of the I went to a Catholic schools, and one of the Christian brothers who was still around at that stage said he was from the East Coast. I said we're gonna we're gonna learn rugby, and everyone was like what is this? And we all gave up after about three weeks and they're like, yeah, we're going to stop the rugby now. <laughs> we just never came across it or saw it on TV. I don't think we had a team back then um, no. in the 80s. Yeah, so, not Western Australia, no. No. So, see, people don't realise that about Australia. Where you're from d- determines which football code you follow. Mm. So if it's if it's Sydney, if it's New South Wales, it's rugby league. If it's Victoria, it's Aussie rules football. 
Brisbane, Queensland, it's mainly rugby league. Yeah. Western Australia, I guess, now is a bit more Aussie rules, maybe. I mean, we've got two two teams in yeah. Aussie. I mean, don't, let's not talk about the West Coast Eagles. Um, uh, let's go. You guys don't know. That's <laughs> good. Having no. a bad season? Yeah. Having a bad season. No, it's um, bad. Really whereas bad. I grew up in Sydney, so for me it was rugby league. And when I was three days old, my dad brought a red and green toy rabbit into the hospital so that I would support the South Sydney Rabbitohs because yeah. that's who he grew Such up. Such a cool name as well, though. The Rabbitohs? <laughs> yeah. And you know, you know why it's called the Rabbitohs? No, tell me. Because... I mean, there's a whole bunch of urban legends, but when the team was first formed or in the early doors of it being formed, a lot of the players would sell rabbits. They'd walk through the streets with rabbits over their shoulders and they were called rabbitos. That's the name of the- What, the real, real rabbits for-, for Yeah, 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 like, live rabbits. They'd, there's a theme here. There is a theme. Is a whole thing. <laughs> Fresh rabbits over their shoulders, walk through the streets oh. of Redfern and they'd call out, rabbito! Wow. Because, you know, the rabbito was there to sell to sell you a rabbit. Oh. And then they'd finish selling rabbits and then they'd go to training. <laughs> and gradually, I think it started as a slur from the other teams calling them the rabbitos. Look at them bloody rabbitos. Be uh, like, man, the bunch of plumbers. Hey? Yeah, right. And then they went, well, you know what? We're going to own it. We're going to call ourselves the rabbitos. <laughs> We're going to own it. <laughs> the legend goes that they used to have green smocks mm. with and they turn up to training with these green tops but stained with the red of the rabbits the red blood of the rabbits and that's why the team is red and green but that's also why it's called the rabbitos so really working class i grew up supporting them all i ever wanted to do was play for the rabbitos and i played i guess i played touch rugby at high school uh, in primary school and then i played rugby league at high school for a little, for a couple of years i wasn't the best and especially having a prosthetic you know i've only got one foot Weirdly, I've now started playing disability rugby league, and what I've found is most of the guys that were born with a disability, it was about the age of 12, 13, 14 that they kind of went, oh, I can't keep up. Mm. There's, a, there's a level where you go, yeah, we're okay, and then you go, I, I can't keep up with the other kids. So I ended up playing tennis. I coached tennis. I played at A grade. I played pretty competitively. But then about a four, hang on, 2017, six years ago, uh, I found out that there was Disability Rugby League in Sydney and kind of contacted them and said, can I help? Can I play? Can I support? And they were like, well, you live in London, mate. It's going to be hard. <laughs> but just at that time, Warrington, the Warrington Wolves, had contacted them and said, oh, we'd like to set up England's first Disability Rugby League team. So I contacted Warrington and they went, yeah, come up, help us support. Turned up for an open trial day and went, can I play? And they were like, yeah, you can totally play. Let's play. And I've become re-obsessed with it yeah. to the point where my comedy notebook has got rugby league plays in it now. <laughs> like instead of writing down jokes, I'd be like, oh, yeah, but what if what if this person ran that way? <laughs> and so I've kind of put comedy on hold, like stand-up comedy on hold for the last seven years. I've said to my managers, let's not tour. I, you know, I've turned down gigs because it's training. I, I was invited to Prince Charles's 70th birthday at Buckingham Palace, and I said, no, it's a Tuesday. We've got training that night. <laughs> but wow. it was because that's what I would prefer to do. Yeah. I wanted to go to Warrington and train. I didn't want to go to Buckingham Palace. So, And then, you know, we, we had the first ever physical disability rugby league World Cup last year to go in uh, alongside the, the men's and the women's Yeah, that's the what we're talking, yeah. In so, England, so it was the England Rugby League World Cup, wasn't it? That yes. They, they all played the tournament at the same time. Yeah, 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 yeah. And so we had a disability version. I got to play for Australia. I got to do all of that stuff. So I've, I've become absolutely obsessed with it. But weirdly, I've said all along, I'll stop when my body gives out, you know, because it's, it's still rugby. Mm. And... I think the last training session I had for Warrington, I twisted really badly in it whilst being tackled and something popped in my oh. hip that shouldn't have popped, Ooh. like your hip's not meant to pop. 
uh, and I got back to Australia and had an MRI and the specialist went, oh, you've torn your, your iliotibial band. That's that's a proper tear. That's a high-grade tear. And I was like, oh, okay, so when can I play rugby again? And he went, six months. You're out for six oh. months. And I was like, what? Just just tell me the name of that again because this is gold, by the way, because I've called it the ITB band. I never knew the name. What did you oh, call it? Oh, they're the iliotibial band. There yes, the ITB Ooh. band. Yeah, yeah, so you know it. So the one that gets tight on the outside, yeah. they never knew it was called that. Right. Thank you very much. Oh, it's a comedian, that's, smart, that's, smart. So it's the one that goes from your hip to your knee. Yeah. That's the IT band, isn't that's it? That's the, the IT band. Right. There you go. Yeah, so I've torn it, which apparently oh. is very hard yeah, yeah, to do. Yeah, very hard to do. The say car crushes and stuff, that's generally how you, how you do it. Right, you? okay. Yeah, they'd actually acupuncture them as in it'd be like solid like yeah. rope to try and get the acupuncture in there on the ice so that's a big old yeah so you there's should a maybe look call it. that you've just given me that the specialist gave me and the physio gave me and one other physio has given me because most other people i say i've torn my it band and they're like oh don't worry you'll be fine yeah but people who know about it give me a look of oh you're in a bit of trouble yeah yeah <laughs> i did that with running actually did you yeah i well, didn't tear it completely but I, i'd injured myself you and can- i ended up having um acupuncture mm. to relief Relieve it. Yes. It, it, it taught, become really, really tight. Yeah, it's a, I just like, overdone it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's a fatigue injury. Yeah. So I might have to, I might be coming to the end of my rugby playing. Days. Yeah. I don't want to say if, you, if that's gone potentially. Uh, well, the specialist's words were six months, this is a high grade injury, and you're not 18. <laughs> <laughs> but, like, what a joy. What a joy. And you know that joy. There is a specific, and because what I realized is, you know, disability sports, but especially disability rugby league, people with a disability don't get to represent their country. They don't get to play sport, represent their club. People with a disability rarely get to feel what it's like to be part of a team. Mm. And, you know, having played rugby, what it's like to have however many blokes around you that you put your body on the line for week in, week out, that you're there for constantly 24-7, there's a there's a really specific feeling that you get with that that you don't get with anything else. I don't think. Yeah, there is, and it's great to hear you say that as well because of the problems rugby's going through globally at the minute, and people say, "Where is the value in a game like rugby where it can be contact and everything around the head?" But the fact that there are different forms of rugby that you can play, participation, actually, what playing a sport like that does, however that whether or not it's league, whether or not it's union, yeah. men, women, disability. Uh, there's loads of different forms that are, are going to be released as well by World Rugby is great because it kind of needs that, especially now where we, we need to be active. The kids need to get out there and be active. Absolutely. I can't tell. Like if, if we had said, let's have, a, let's have a session every Monday where a whole bunch of guys with disabilities get together and talk about their disabilities, none of them would have turned mm. up. If you say, let's, let's have disability rugby league, we all turn up, we all play, we all go for a drink afterwards, and then it might be, hey, how's your arm? How's your shoulder? How, what's happening with your stuff? Whatever. But... I can't tell you the amount of guys on the group chat uh, who, you know, have come along, joined the team, and then have then put a really lovely message or said to us in person, like, I was really down before joining this team. Like, I was really struggling. I'm not, I'm not going to lie. I reckon at least three of the guys have, have said they were, had, were close to suicide. Yeah. And then oh, found this wow. team, found this band of brothers that – and I think having disabilities – brings us all together because there's a shared understanding but when everyone's got a disability no one's got a disability like i'll be honest we turn up to train i couldn't tell you what half of the guys have got because we just play rugby that's what it's all about but yeah it's that that's what i've become addicted by and that's what i don't want to walk away from and that's what i imagine it's hard walking away from yeah it is yeah that brotherhood and the teamship yes uh that's been the hardest shift 
Yeah. Like it really has. Yeah. And it, it's hard. I, and I think it's it's added to by the physicality of the game because, you know, if Scott's running at me and you and I are trying to make the tackle or he's the guy that I've got to tackle, I've got to put my body on the line. I'm going to get hurt trying to stop him. Mm. But if I don't do it properly, then you can't do your job properly. So you've got to, you're relying on the person next to you, not just to do their job, to put themselves in pain really hurt themselves for you and you feel proud when you've done it you know you walk away go yeah yeah i can't move my arm today but i did that for you i did that for all of us yeah scott you feeling that or not (laughs) all right scott Uh, right let me show you run it yeah Yeah. let's get up you stretch first my it my it band's playing up so yeah itb bands are tight that's class so before we go there's a couple of things as well so lee mckenzie was sat here who i know you work with on the para olympics Olympics, she said there was a hilarious story about trying to pronounce i won't put you on the spot trying to pronounce someone that went on to win a load of gold meadows yes um fuck us over fuck us over (laughs) yeah and you had to say it fuck us over (laughs) turns out it's supposed to be pronounced fuck or something like that but we were like and i think she was up against she uh, one gold, but I think at that point the British girl was in the lead, mm. and it was like it was only it was like we're going to win, we're going to win, and then fark us over, literally farked us over. <laughs> Excellent. <laughs> yeah. Well, Lee was asking for you anyway. She said, "Ask him about the name pronunciation of fuck us, fuck us over, fuck us over." <laughs> Thankfully, well, I'm in commentary, but some of the funny names. So there was that, and then I mean the World Cup in France, the Rugby World Cup. If you fancy coming at any point, and so Australia going to do all right this year? You got Eddie Jones back, who's a bit of a wild man, but yes. you've got an easy side to the pool, so you you got a chance of getting it to the semis. I thought you were going to talk about the Rugby League World Cup, which was oh. meant to be held in France in twenty twenty five, and France have now said, "Oh yeah, sorry, we can't. Yeah. <laughs> we don't they think lose. we can do this." <laughs> <laughs> what? Like three years out from? Is it three years? Well, what are we? Cl- yeah, three yeah. years away from the Rugby League World Cup, and there isn't a Rugby League World Cup oh, right gosh. now. Well, God. Yeah. The sport is in. I know it is crazy. You know, but, we but, were just we were hoping that France might have a PDRL World Cup to go alongside, but the, they've got the Olympics there as well. So yes. I, I don't know what's going on. I wasn't aware that the rugby league one was going there. Yeah, rugby league's completely. There is no 2025 rugby league World Cup right now. Well, for the, or at least there's no, no one willing to host it. Yeah, but no. yeah, no, the rugby union World Cup. Yeah. So if you fancy coming, yeah, so it's in loads of games in Paris, Marseille. Oh, yeah. Saint-Étienne. No when is pressure. that? Is that next year, this year? No, this year, September, October. Oh. So Australia got the easy side of the pool nice. as well. So right. you've got Wales in your group who are going to be struggling massively. Georgia, big yeah. boys I'll tell well. you an Eddie Jones story, if you'd like. Yes, please. So I was at the Rugby League Grand Final a couple of years back, uh, Catalan St. Helens, I think it was, and Eddie Jones was there. And I went to the loo, half-time, got in, stood at the urinal, and realised I'm standing next to Eddie Jones. I'm like, oh, my God, that's Eddie Jones. And Eddie turned to me and went, so who do you think is going to win? And I was like, oh, that's too, that's too much pressure. <laughs> I, can't, I can't give an informed opinion to Eddie Jones while literally holding my dick in my hand. Like, this is, this is, there's nothing more emasculating than this right now. And I can't even remember what I said. Oh, I think, I don't know, I think Catalans might do this. What, what, what do you think? And he was just like, St. Helens, too consistent. I'm like, why are you even asking my opinion? You clearly know what's what. And then as we walked out, you know, washed hands and shook hands and uh, he said, what are you doing over here and blah, blah, blah. And I said, what are you doing here at the union? And he went, I love rugby league. And I went, really? He said, love rugby league. I said, where'd you grow up? And he said, La Perouse. And I went, so you support? And he went, 
the rabbit eyes. Yeah. I was like, yeah, he's wow. a proper rugby league guy. Yeah, But, is, yeah, yeah, no, there's nothing more emasculating than trying to give a, an informed rugby league opinion to Eddie Jones <laughs> while you're in <laughs> And it's freezing cold in there as well. Yeah. Yeah. Eddie Jones, good man. He got yeah. kicked out of England. Um, we miss him. I say we. I live in Scotland. I'm Scottish, but, yeah, as in did as you have any, Did you come across him? Did you have yeah, much a few to do times. with him? Yeah, yeah, right. yeah, he took a lot of shit in England. He was England's most successful coach yeah. ever, but just the way that he interacted with the media, which the game needs. The game needs rogues, and he was rogue. The way you know some of the stuff that he used to say and stuff like that. So Australia have got him back. He was there in two thousand three yeah. when in the final he was part of the coaching team. So Australia will do well, I reckon, yeah. in this World Cup. So I've heard he's like an incredibly intimidating guy because he's quite short. Yeah, small. Yeah, but he'll a... he'll have someone of your height backed against a wall, yeah. almost cowering. Just That's exactly. with his intensity. Well, you yeah. saw it. You had your dick in your hand, and you <laughs> felt it. Do you know what I mean? As in anyone, you can feel it. Um, lads, absolutely class. By the way, you should do a podcast. Call it the Freak Scene. It just freak it would scene. work. Ooh, do you know what I mean? Yeah. Well, we, I tell you what, we have got an idea for a TV show. Really? Where we go to a different city. We basically have forty-eight hours. Scott has to source local ingredients and make a pop-up restaurant, and then I have to do. Uh, a 10 minute stand up comedy routine about wherever we are and we call it dinner and show so cool mm. I'm yeah. sold yeah <laughs> the name's so good I know it'd be so much fun we've got to pitch that we've got to pitch it right we've, we've said it on we've said it out loud we own this idea if anyone's yeah. listening yeah right there's now. millions of people listen to this so yeah <laughs> we'll make sure that it's copyrighted so yeah, for definitely. the people that are listening I've got a pretty engaged audience absolute legends thanks to everyone out there but where can they follow it, it's called Freak Scene I've been I'm not just saying that it's Amazing, the brand's really cool. Had a massive fan of yours as well, so it's been okay. class for me. Where can they, Scott? If you just explain where the restaurants are, what's happening? Yeah, so Freak Scene's in uh, Parsons Green. Oh, we've we've renamed it. We've rebadged the Freak Scene. So if you look up FreakScenerestaurants dot com or Freak Scene SW six uh, on Instagram at yep. Freak Scene SW six, yeah, you'll 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 find us. There's plenty, there's plenty out there about us. The menus are on there, and and contact details. We're open Wednesday through to Sunday. Parsons Green. Um, and like again, amazing. You know, you know, deep fried bao buns, sashimi pizza. As soon as I say deep fried bao buns, people are like, I'm in. Yeah, yeah. You, you had me at deep fried I call bao buns. Donut buns. Donut buns. <laughs> <laughs> the way that I see it, it's rock and roll. It's like a rock and roll mm. restaurant. It's rock and roll. We we have rock and roll hip hop. There's shots going around. The staff are pretty engaging. It's a lot of fun. The lights are low. The neons bright. Um, we played Takeshi's Castle against the wall, so you can see, you know, there's that sort of action happening. It, it, it's a it's a down-to-earth, fun sort of environment. We don't take ourselves super seriously. The food and beverage has to be really good. That has to be shit hot. But the rest of it's about, you know, being engaging and, and natural hospitality, like like in that book, you know. Yeah, yeah. You know, that, that's what we try to achieve. That's what I love is all the reviews I've seen or people I've spoken to, like the food is amazing. There's mm. no doubt about that. But it's the the feeling that they come away with from that night. They've, they've been entertained They've yeah. had proper hospitality. Yeah, that's it. It's 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 about stripping it back and not being so formulaic, you know, and tick box service. It is about you know just being naturally hospitable. Like when you welcome someone into your house, it's no harder than that. Yeah, yeah. You know, to make sure they've they've got they've got a drink at all times. Talk to them with you know, being genuine. If you ask them how they are, listen for the answer and engage with them. You know, it's yeah, it's as simple as that. I reckon. Yeah, so cool, rock and roll, the freak scene, the, the freak, freak scene. scene, the freak scene. Love it, lads, legends. Thank you oh, so cheers. much. Thanks for having, Thanks for having us. Thank you.